So in 1989, Robert Fulgham wrote a book that hit the New York Times bestseller list. And he said this, all I ever really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. And, and that, that, that saying, it resonates with us, right? And, and yet, I think that Dr. Fulgham, I think he was only partly right. Right, the beginning of the book, he says this, all I ever really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. And he, he says, wisdom was not found on the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. And, and while there were things that I learned in kindergarten, really navigating life, there's so much more. In his list, he, he talks about things that are important to learn, the, 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 the importance of sharing, the importance of of. When you, when, you, when you play with things that you need to put them back, right? That, that, when you, that when you're gonna go out in the world that you need to hold hands and stick together. And, and listen, those are good lessons. But let me offer you this. There are also some pretty important lessons that you'll learn, not just in the sand pile in Sunday school, but on the playground at elementary school. Right, really, in the, in the playground and then the gym at elementary school, I learned so many powerful lessons that I'm convinced that I'm convinced are important yet today. Let me tell you, if, if you're here for the first time or you're here for the first time in a long time, you picked a great day to be at Calvary because we're starting a new series entitled Playground. And we're gonna talk about some of those elementary things that really we learned in childhood, but should hold true even as adults. Peter tells us this. He says that we should be vigilant or that we should be sober right? Because we have this adversary, the devil, who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are told that we are to put on the full armor of God. Why? To where we can take our stands against the devil's schemes. This morning, I want to talk to you about how we navigate these challenges of life, how we face these issues. I believe this. I believe that God has a wonderful lesson for you to learn through hmm, dodgeball. God, I, I thank you today for the opportunity that we have to consider your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us your word as a lamp to our feet, as a light into our path, that you've given us your word that we might not sin against you. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege, for the opportunity that we have to spend here in your presence and to consider your word. Now, let me offer you this this morning. If you are a confessing Christian, if you are someone who desires to walk in diligent obedience to God, if you are a consistent worshiper, the enemies of God don't like you. Not only do they not like you, they are actively at work against you, right? That's what the scripture that I alluded to a moment ago, that's what it tells us. First Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, let me offer you this, okay? That spiritual warfare is not an option in the Christian life. It, 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 it really isn't. If we're a believer, we are going to be involved in the struggle. We are going to face these issues. Why? Because Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That is a powerful issue. That's a, a powerful understanding, isn't it? 
And so this morning, I, I want to talk to you about that. And I want to talk to you about, do me a favor, Bob, grab that, grab that ball and toss that ball to me. Thank you. You know, I, uh, I don't know how life was like for you as you were a child, but for me, how good or bad a day went really was determined by what went down on the playground and in the gym, right? Listen, it was a great day at, at, at school when, when you, when you could, went to school and it was a play day or a free day in gym. On the other hand, that day that you, when you walked in and, the, and, and, the, and your PE teacher was standing by the ropes, you knew that was going to be a bad day. Right? True. Anybody here got really excited when you walked into the gym and, and the coach standing there and going, yeah, we're going to climb up this rope today. By the way, listen, as you're climbing up this rope, you don't have to worry because just where you know, this two-inch foam mat down here, if you fall from 15 feet, this two-inch mat is going to be here to protect you. Right? Here's the thing. They knew that all they needed was that two-inch mat because they knew we were all going to make it about eight inches off the ground, right? But for me, let me tell you a day that I loved. I loved dodgeball. I loved dodgeball for a couple reasons. Number one, I was quick. Number two, I had long arms. I loved dodgeball until sixth grade. Sixth grade, I met my, my nemesis. Okay? My nemesis. Tracy Zwicker. Tracy Zwicker in sixth grade was already six feet tall and had arms that drug the ground. And she would destroy me. Yes, you heard right. She would, she, she would destroy me uh, in, in dodgeball. And so, uh, and, and what, I, what I figured out was this, is I figured out that I didn't really understand how to win, how to play the game. This morning, I, I want to give you some dodgeball principles. And here's the reason why. <clears throat> because the enemy is going to throw things at you. All right? In, in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, it was an eight and a half inch playground ball. Into adulthood, you know what it was? It was temptation to look at pornography. It was frustration in my work. It was dealing with challenges of, of the sick child. It was finding out that my credit card has been compromised. It was hearing news that someone that I trusted was saying things about me that were completely untrue. And I find this, I find that I, I, I live a life that it seems that more often than I care to admit, I'm having to, I'm having to dodge. And, and these, as these, as these, as these, these, arrows are coming at me. When it comes to this understanding of, 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 of the life that we live and this issue of, of struggle, it's important that we understand some very real principles. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you this morning about our struggle in spiritual warfare, our strength in spiritual warfare, and the security that we have in spiritual warfare. 
Because if you are walking as a child of God, you are going to face these challenges. You are going to face these issues. You are going to face these battles. You, you are going to face these tests. And, and the more that we understand them, the more, the more that we walk in them in a, in a healthy fashion, the greater the potential for victory. See, God's Word tells us this. It tells us that He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And He's given us everything that we need to be more than conquerors. It really, friend, it really comes down to whether or not we walk in the plan that God has for us and embrace the promises that He has for us. Staying true to the principles that His Word explains to us. So let's do this. Let's unpack this issue of, of spiritual warfare this morning and, and, and look at what we can learn through the principles of dodgeball. Here's, here's what we know about our struggle in spiritual warfare. Number one is this. Our struggle is real. Our struggle is real. It, it, there, is, there is real pain that we face in the world today. I don't know if you've ever been hit hard by one of those red rubber balls, but can I tell you something? It can leave quite the mark. It can be absolutely painful. And just like dodgeball, life can be absolutely painful. And we all face it, right? So in Ephesians chapter 6, in fact, I want you to do this. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. We're going to look at just a few portions of Scripture, just, just a, a few verses of Scripture there. But I believe this. I believe in just a few verses of Scripture that God's got some very powerful practical truths for you today. And here's what it tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, finally... Some translations say this, finally, my brethren. In reality, it could, say, it could say this, finally, everyone. Finally, brothers and sisters. Okay? And, and in, this, in this statement, okay, when it, when it tells us finally, it's, it's referring to all of us. In fact, a few verses later, it uses the term we. Right? It says, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord because we. And that we, it's an inclusive pronoun. And so what that means is this. It means that everyone faces this. We, none of us are exempt from the challenges. None of us are exempt from the issues. None of us are exempt from the struggles. We all go through it. Whether you like it or not, friend, the enemies of God still hate God and they don't care very much about you either. It's unfortunate, but oftentimes what happens is when people think of Satan, they tend to think of Satan in one of two extremes, right? Uh, there are some who are convinced that Satan doesn't exist. Uh, in fact, a, a, a recent, they did a recent survey and, uh, and found this, that among those who claim to be born again, 32% believed this, that the devil or Satan is not a living being but he's simply a symbol of evil. 32% of people who said, I am a born-again Christian, strongly agree with that statement. 11% agreed somewhat. And 5% said that they did not know. So of the total people responding to the survey, 48% either agreed that Satan is only symbolic or did not know. Well, let me help you today. Satan is not simply symbolic. Okay, Satan is a real being. Satan's demonic forces are real beings. And you do have an adversary that goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
Okay, so this struggle that we have, it is a very real struggle. Now, the other side of this are the people that, uh, that are convinced that, that the devil is a part of everything, right? You go home this afternoon and your computer won't start up. It's because the devil is in your computer. Friend, the devil isn't in your computer. Now, you might use devilish, you might, you might do devilish things with your computer, but let me explain something to you. What your computer is, it's, it's a bunch of electronic components, all right? If, if, your, if, if your stove isn't working properly today, it may not be because the devil is in your stove. It may be because your stove is old and you're cheap. <laughs> Let me just set, set you free a little bit this morning, okay? I mean, you'll hear people go, man, man, the devil was really after me today. It, it took me 45 minutes to get to work. That's not because of the devil. That's, that's because traffic is horrible in Orlando. Okay? And you were late, not because the devil made you late. You were late because you didn't give yourself ample time knowing that you live in an area that has heavy traffic. Come on now. Man, pastor, you've gone from preaching to meddling. Well, I will tell you this. Our struggle is real. And not only is the struggle real, the struggle is personal. Okay? It says this in, in verse number 12. Look at this a, a few verses later. It says, uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but instead we wrestle against, right? For we do not wrestle. That, that term wrestle, it speaks to what spiritual warfare looks like. Oftentimes, when we think about battle, and this is, this is why I love the idea of using dodgeball to talk about spiritual warfare. I grew up in a, in a time when, as a, as, a, as, a, as a young guy, that battle and warfare was just a regular part of my life, right? Here are some of the toys that I had in my toy box, okay? I had a G.I. Joe. Anybody else here have a G.I. Joe? Okay? And I had a G.I. Joe back when it was a, a, a big G.I. Joe, right? Not the, they, they went for a while. It may still be this way. They shrunk G.I. Joe. I don't know why they did that. I, I, if I was G.I. Joe, I'd have been bitter, Right? But I had G.I. Joe. And then I also had these green plastic army men, right? And we would, I mean, we would play with these things all the time. We'd get down in the dirt and we'd play with these things. Remember when kids played in the dirt? And uh, remember when kids knew what dirt was? And uh, anyway, we, we would line up the army men, right? And we would, set up and we would, we would play army. And there were, there were rules and, and there were regulations. Dodgeball, there were rules, uh, but really, it was, it was all about just look out, okay? You were in the midst of it. It wasn't, it wasn't a concept. It, it, was, it was, this is me against you. Especially when you got down to, and I don't know how you played dodgeball in your grade school, okay? But here's how we did it. What you would do is this, is you would take, and they would take the, 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 the playground balls. We didn't have, they also make regulation dodgeballs. We didn't have the regulation dodgeballs, okay? And they would line them up at the center, center court of the basketball court, right? And you'd have to be at the baseline, right? And the coach would blow the whistle, and you would run, and you would take, and you would either grab the ball, or you would hit it and push it back to the people behind you, right? When it got down to just two people. By the way, we, we, had, we had a great rule, uh, and I loved this rule, okay? If you could take the dodgeball and make a basket with it, 
everybody on your team that had gotten out was back in. That, that was, I, I, I love that and, 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 and live to try to make that, make that long range shot. Um, but the, the object of the game to get the other team out, so when it got down to just a couple of players, our coach would blow the whistles and he would go, no lines. And what that meant is I could get as close to you as I wanted, and I could hit you as hard as I wanted, as close as, 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 close as I wanted to get to you. Now, I don't know if this was a real rule in dodgeball or if this is just something our vicious PE teacher made up. <laughs> but at some point during the game, he would go, okay, all the rules, the rules that this team can't go across the, the, this line and that team can't come across this line, forget about the rules. It's now every person for themselves. Guard yourself with every fiber of your being. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but the enemy doesn't play by the rules. I think that part of the reason that, that maybe G.I. Joe isn't so popular anymore, why, um, you know, the, the little plastic army men aren't so popular anymore, I think it's an issue because warfare has changed in our world. And I think the warfare that we see in our world today really is a better picture of the way the enemy actually works. The enemy doesn't care about the rules and regulations. All the enemy cares about is steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, he says, that you might have life, and that you might have it in abundance. I have come that you might have life, and you might have it to its full. So even though this even though this struggle is real, even though it's personal, and, and not just real and personal, it's, it's also very, it's substantial. This is no small thing, this issue of spiritual warfare. It's, it's not some small thing. It's significant. I, I think that the, the, one of the greatest lies that the enemy has us convinced of is this, is that spiritual warfare is not a big deal. simple truth is this. It's, it's life and death. It's eternal destiny. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay? I want you to notice this again. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Rather, it's against even more powerful enemies. The latter part of, of, of Ephesians 6.12, it describes the spiritual host of wickedness, this invisible but deadly army of Satan. See, we not only fight against Satan, but we fight against his legions of fallen angels. Paul here in Ephesians 6, as in other passages, what he does is this, is he describes the ranks and organizations of these unseen evil forces. He says there are principalities, there are powers, and there are rulers of the darkness of this age. One of the things that, that all too often happens is we tend to understate the issue of the adversary. And we tend to underestimate the adversary. Jesus, in referring to Satan, Jesus describes Satan as the ruler of this world. 
Make no mistake, friend, the adversary that we face, it's an adversary that is significant. Satan does come with power. Now, he's not as powerful as God. God is the creator. Satan is a creation. But all we have to do is look in the world around us and recognize the effectiveness that the enemy has. Recognize the power that Satan has. We also have to understand that not only is Satan powerful, but he's also very evil. That's what that's Romans 1 through 3, it, it teaches us right? It teaches us that the effectiveness of the evil of the enemy. And he's also, he's very cunning. The Bible describes him as wily. And, and here's, here's what he does, okay? We're told, uh, in, in fact, Ephesians 6.11 tells us, it speaks of the wiles or the schemes of the devil. It, 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 that word um, wiles or schemes, uh, it comes from the same Greek word where we get methods, Methodia, methods. So it says that we need to be aware. We need, we need to understand the methods that our adversary uses, the methods that Satan uses. Okay, and what does he use? Number one is this, he uses diversion. The devil is a master behind the scenes. Okay, when he attacks, we often don't even realize it's, it's him. We'll, we'll blame others, we'll blame circumstances, we'll do this. And so he uses, he uses diversion. One of the biggies that he uses this is, is he uses division. It is, it is amazing to me how effective this issue of division is and what the enemy tries to do. And listen, we need to be aware of this. Let me let, me let you in on a little secret. The enemy is going to do something today to try to get you to be offended while you're here. Well, Bill didn't talk to me. Well, I'm not going back to that church. They... They, they didn't sing the songs I like. I'm not going back to that church. Okay? They didn't do communion the way I think communion should be done. I'm not going back to that church. It was way too hot in church today. Nobody will say that today. <laughs> Why didn't these people turn on the heat? I'm not going back to that church. Right? The enemy will do everything that he can to bring division into the body of Christ and to bring division into your life and into your circle of relationships. Because that's what he does, divide and conquer, right? He uses, he uses diversion, he uses division, and then he also uses deception. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says this, that Satan, himself, that Satan himself, he transforms himself or masquerades as an angel of light. See, he doesn't so much attack our weaknesses. He'll even attack our strengths. He gets us to rely on our own talents, our own giftedness, instead of the God who gave them to us. And so, yes, we have this real struggle. But let me let you in on a little secret. If you're going to survive in dodgeball, you will never survive in dodgeball playing defense. Anytime. Especially not in the school that I grew up in. Because when that coach blew the whistle and said, okay, now there are no rules. If you're playing defense, if all you're doing is you're playing defense, you've lost. Because eventually, somehow, some way, someone is going to hit you with the ball. 
The teams that win in dodgeball and the people that excel in dodgeball are the people that play offense. This is why I loved dodgeball, okay? When I played dodgeball, I wasn't looking to try to avoid you throwing the ball at me. I was watching you. I, would, I was hoping. Mark, I was hoping you would throw the ball at me. In fact, I would dare you to throw the ball at me. Because let me tell you something, friend. If the ball hits a wall or hits the ground before it hits me, I'm not out and I get the ball and I can chuck it at you. But if you throw the ball in the air, dude, I'm going to catch it, Okay? See, not only are you not going to be able to hit me, I'm going to catch the ball. I don't even have to throw the ball back at you because when you throw it at me, all I got to do is catch it and dude, you're out. So bring it. God didn't design us to be these weak, helpless, defensive beings. Spiritual warfare is all about us being on the offensive. It's all about us being on the offensive. Absolutely. Come on, folks. That's worth an amen. amen. All too often what happens is the church individually and collectively, the church takes a defensive posture. We're apologetic for what we do. Right? We're careful that we live our lives in such a way that we don't offend the world. When did that ever become the right thing to do? To live our life in such a way that we don't offend the world. Let me let you in on a little secret. Are you ready? The gospel is an offense. It is impossible to live the life that God has called you to live and not offend the people around you. Why? Friend, because you are involved in a spiritual battle that is very real, that is very personal, that is very substantial, and it is profoundly spiritual. But we have this great strength. That's the reason why Ephesians 6.10 says this, finally be strong in the Lord. And, and if we attempt to navigate life, if we attempt to navigate all of the things that are coming at us, and we attempt to navigate life in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, in our own strength, in our own ideas, we will fail. The enemy will defeat us when we rely on our power and we allow on our understanding. But when we put on the full armor of God, put on the full armor of God. Say that with me. Put on the full armor of God. Say it again. Put on the full armor of God. What are we supposed to put on? Of who? Of who? Say it one more time. Of who? When I put on the full armor of God, here's what it says. It says that then I will be ready to respond to all of the devil's schemes. Right? I'm supposed to put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes that I'm able to take my stand. And having done everything to stand, I am then to stand. Having done everything, having, having been prepared, having made myself ready to stand. When you walk out of here today and you go out into Orlando, understand this. You're walking out into a battlefield. It's absolutely important that I do everything to stand. When I get up in the morning, I step into a battlefield. It's imperative that I do everything to stand. And what I've got to do is this. 
I don't have to prepare my mind. I don't have to prepare my heart. I don't have to, here's what I have to do. I have to put on the full armor of God. It's not about me. It's about the resources that God makes available to me. Oh, I gotta make sure I'm in the right frame of mind. I've gotta make sure I, 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 I. This is part of the deception that the enemy has perpetrated on the church for generations, for centuries. It's, it's the lie that began in the Garden of Eden. That somehow, that it's about you. Let's go back to original sin. When, when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God said this. He said, everything that you see is here for you to enjoy. I want to point out two trees to you. In the center of the garden, there are these two trees. There's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat from that tree, you will die. And then Satan comes in the form of a serpent. And he says this to man. What did God say to you? Now, this is very important and it's very practical. In fact, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to get this. Notice what the enemy does. The enemy comes and uses what I refer to as the scheme, because he's, he's a schemer, right? He uses the scheme of the question. What did God say to you? Did he say that if you ate from that tree that you would die? That's not true. In fact, God said that to you because he was being deceptive. Isn't it interesting that the deceiver would accuse God of being deceptive? But God spoke that because he was being deceptive. The reality is, is that if you eat from that tree, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. That idea seemed good to man. Looking at the tree, it didn't look like a bad thing to eat, so man ate it. First Eve and then Adam. God comes to Adam in the cool of the day and says, Adam, where are you? And he says, I was naked and afraid, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? See, up until that point, man was naked and unafraid because man's focus was not on me, 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 me. It was not about I. Man's attention was outward focused. Isn't it interesting? Here's, here's a practical church growth principle. Show me a church that's inward focused and I'll show you a church that's, that's shrinking. Show me a church that's outward focused, that's committed to reaching its community, to, to sharing Christ from neighbors all the way to nations and I'll show you a church that's growing. It, it, it's, it, I'm telling you, it's an axiomatic principle. What we have to do is this, is we have to turn the attention away from me, 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 and turn it towards, and that's the reason why, friends, God's word doesn't say, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. Here's what it says. It says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Everything that you need to be more than conqueror, God makes available to you. Okay? And recognize what the full armor of God is. Okay? So let's talk about the helmet of salvation. Is the helmet of salvation something that you create? No. How about, the, how about the, 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 having your loins girded with truth? Are you the creator of truth? The 
breastplate of righteousness. Where does our righteousness come from? Does our righteousness come from something that we do? No, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Right? So, the helmet of salvation. See, all of the elements of spiritual armor are things that God makes available to us because of His mercy, grace, and omnipotent power. Recognize this. Everything that you need for life and godliness, friend, He has given you. But here's where we have to live. God's security is available to us, but here's what it requires. Number one, it requires preparation. Paul says this, that we are to put on the full armor of God. And and that that putting on the full armor of God, it's it's a metaphor for living life in the Spirit. Right? Ephesians chapter 6, it goes along very well. Paul Paul says this. He says, listen, you have this battle that wages within you. There's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. He says, if we do this, if we live by the spirit, we will not satisfy the the desires of the sinful nature, right? The desires of the sinful nature are obvious. But when we walk in the Spirit, when we live by the Spirit, instead, what we'll do is we will experience the fruit of the Spirit in our life. So it's this issue of of preparation. When we we put on the full armor of God, what we're doing is we're, we're walking in this spiritual life. See, the armor of God, it represents the supernatural protection that's available to every believer. Jude 24 tells us this, that God is able to keep us from stumbling. It requires preparation. The other thing that it requires is this, is it it requires participation. It it says this, and having done everything to stand, stand. That issue of stand, it's a military term. And, 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 And taking a stand, it refers to holding a critical position in battle. Making a stand. And there, there, I'm, I'm going to give you, as we close this morning, I'm going to give you three keys to making a stand against the evil one. Number one is this. Always remember that we have been delivered. Here's what Colossians 1.13 says. It says, he has, deli- he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. See, the only hold that Satan has over us, the only hold that Satan has over you is what you give him. The victory is already ours. So it's very important that we understand that we have been delivered. It's it's also important that as we take our stand that we, we don't just send demons away. See, it's real easy, it's real easy to take just pockets of Scripture and portions of Scripture and go, okay, this is a universal truth. Make no mistake, that Bible that you, that, that Bible that you hold, that Bible that you read, that Bible is the divinely inspired Word of God, and it is absolute truth. But it's important, friend, that you know the Word of God and that you know the totality of the Word of God. And here's what God's word says about resisting the devil. 
Yes, it is true that at the name of Jesus, demons have to flee. And so oftentimes what happens is people think, okay, if I'm facing a difficulty, all I've got to do is say the magic word, like, like rubbing the, the side of the genie's lamp. You know, all I got to do is say Jesus, 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 and suddenly everything is gone. And yet here's what God's word says in James. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, I can say Jesus and not be submitted to God's plan. Right? I can say Jesus and, and, and not be standing in opposition to the evil one. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, where do I find victory in spiritual warfare? Here's where I find victory in spiritual warfare. God, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to become, I give my life to you. I recognize that there is an adversary that wants to kill me, wants to steal my inheritance, wants ultimately me to be destroyed. I recognize, God, that the, that the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, totally consume. I realize that I live in a world where there is significant challenge, and challenge that is, that is far beyond anything that I can respond to in my own ability and my own strength. Even, even when I try to be good, God, I cannot do this on my own. So God, what I do, I give myself to you. All that I am, such as I am, I give myself to you. God, thank you that I don't have to wait to be perfect to do this. Thank you, God, that James 4 doesn't say, figure out all of your problems, get yourself right, then surrender to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Thank you, God, that I don't have to fix me in this equation. See, that's a mistake that a lot of people buy into. They think they've got to fix themselves before they give themselves to God. Okay? By the way, number one, you can't do it. Number two, that's not what God asked for. So, God, I give myself to you. I submit to you. That's, that's, that's the big reason why when you come to church and you see people worshiping, you see them with their hands raised, it's not a mystical, magical thing that we do. It's, it's an expression of surrender. God, I, I surrender to you. I, I, I surrender all. I surrender it to you. But it doesn't stop there. Listen, it, it doesn't stop there. That surrendering to God, making that declaration of faith, taking a posture of surrender and worship, that's a component of being victorious in spiritual warfare. But it doesn't stop there. It also says this. It says, resist the devil. I want you to think about for a moment what it would mean to be a part of a resistance movement. 
Let me tell you something. People throughout history that have considered themselves to be a part of a resistance movement, it was not a passive posture. I'm part of the resistance movement. What do you do? Hmm. I submit. Being a part of the resistance movement means that I'm actively engaged in the defeat of my adversary. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Some of us, we're real comfortable with the second part, right? We want to fight the devil, but we want to fight the devil on our terms. Never going to work. Some of us, we're totally comfortable with the submission part. God, I give my life to you, but beyond that, don't ask me to do anything. Okay? I don't want to be, inva- and I don't want to be engaged in kingdom work. Right? I want, to not, I want just enough of Jesus that I've got heaven, but I don't want, I don't want, to, I want, don't want so much of Jesus that I have to teach, teach a kid's Sunday school class. I certainly don't want to be one of those people that go out on the street and talk to people about Jesus. I, that's way too much Jesus for me. Right? So I'm good with the submission part, but being engaged in the resistance part, God, I, I'm, not so, I'm not so big on that. So how about if I do part one, but not part two? Or how about I do part two, but not part one? See, victory in spiritual warfare, it it, it requires us to be actively engaged. Dodgeball, (laughs) you need somebody on your team (laughs) that is going to go after the other team. I dare you to throw me the ball because I'm going to catch it. And when I catch it, you're going to be out and I'm also going to take out your partner. I said something last Sunday morning and, and, and I, I want to, I mentioned it Wednesday night, I'm going to mention it again. I'm, and I, I want you to know this, I'm really careful about, about saying these things. I, I, as a pastor, I don't operate in hyperbole. I, I just don't. I, I try to avoid it. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a dangerous place to live. But I am 100% convinced that we are at a historic moment. in a lot of ways, as, as, as a nation, as a people, and in, 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 in Christendom today. But to bring it in, in, in a lot tighter, I believe that Calvary is at a historic moment. I am, I am convinced, I, I am 100% convinced that God is going to double the size of this church this year. I'm 100% convinced of that. But I also know this, that for us to be victorious, Here's what it's going to require. It's going to require that we submit to God. So here's the question that I have for you today. Where are the areas that you have yet to submit? Where are the areas that you have yet to submit? You know, the enemy is wreaking havoc in your relationships. The enemy is having a heyday in your, in, in, in your, in your job. Let's do this. Let's pause for a moment and say, where are the areas that I have not submitted? Pastor, I'm fully submitted to God. Really? Let's look at your browser history. 
really? Let's look at the contacts on your phone. How about if I go, how about if I go here? Really? Let's look at your checkbook. Okay, so I'm somewhat submitted. I'm not, I'm not here, I'm not here to criticize, I'm not here to put anybody on blast. I'm just, I'm just asking the question, where are the areas that you've yet to submit? And here's what I can promise you. In the areas that you have failed to submit, that's where the enemy is having his greatest victories. Yeah, I, I, can't, I, can't, give, I can't give my job over to the Lord. I, I, know that there are some, I know that there are some character issues and some moral issues as it relates to my job, but, but that's how I take care of my family. I guarantee you there's pressure in that area of your life. Look, I know this relationship isn't the healthiest in the world, but I can't help it. I love him. I can't help it. I love her. Yeah, that's what's causing you to lose sleep. I, God accepts my imperfection. I only, have this, I only have this one bad habit. I only have this one healthy, unhealthy habit that's leaving you wide open for the enemy, enemy's attack. So how about this? How about we just be honest with ourselves about the area that we haven't submitted to God? Sometimes it's things that are much more subtle like our reputation. how people perceive us. And then it would do us well to say, God, am I engaged in the battle at the level that you want me engaged? Here's the good news. Becky, you don't have to fight the entire war. When battle lines are drawn, a soldier's responsibility is the 24 inches that is in front of him. Those 24 inches. And if every soldier is faithful to the 24 inches in front of him, the army is victorious. You don't have to be overwhelmed by the size of the battle because God's not asking you to win the battle. Are you ready? The battle's already been won. All he's saying is this, is to be faithful to the 24 inches that it's in front of you. Because Satan knows that the battle has already been lost. He's not looking to be victorious. He's simply a bitter loser that wants to inflict as much damage as he possibly can. 
So I don't have to worry about whether or not the battle is going to be lost or won. The battle's not going to be lost or won, friend, dependent upon what you do. Okay? God's not going to be defeated because you don't engage. It just has adverse impact on you. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he runs away. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.